0: Hello, and welcome to the Keepers of the Flame podcast. This is a show to shine a light into the darkness, to empower women, their support networks, and our communities to weather breast cancer, because together, we weather the storm. But on this ocean, every wave brings you closer to home. And no matter what you think, you are never alone. Hello and welcome back to Keepers of the Flame podcast. I'm Joyce Williams, your host, and this is episode number 18. I have cancer, now what? October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and in honor of this month, I wanted to dedicate a podcast to those of you who've recently been told you have breast cancer. Early detection is absolutely critical, no doubt about it, but when the world shatters into pieces around you and that floor that you've stood on and relied on for stability and safety your entire life suddenly just gets yanked out from beneath your feet, when you hear those horrific words, you have cancer, spoken to you and they continue to echo over and over again in your mind, then what? This episode, I Have Cancer, Now What?, is going to kind of bring that all together, taking it a step at a time. In episode eight, Girl Talk, and in episode five, Top Fives, we did a segment on the top five things to prepare. And we talked about a few of these things in the Girl Talk episode as well. But in this episode, I have cancer. Now what? I wanted to bring it all into one point. I wanted you to be able to have a go-to place for what are those immediate first steps? How can you take control of what you can? And prepare for treatment and just take things one step at a time. I know how hard that can be when you're told that you have cancer, that you feel like everything else is just extra. I know I was so overwhelmed with just shock and disbelief that these words were said to me, that I couldn't handle one more thing. When resources were given to me, I just couldn't process through them at that time. So I stuffed them into a folder to deal with them later. I just couldn't handle it at that particular moment in time. And I get that. And that's why I wanted to create this episode so so that those of you that have been told this, that you have a place that you can go when you're ready And you can have a step-by-step guide. What do you do? My friend lovingly referred to me as her tour guide through cancer. We would talk on the phone. We met for coffee. And we talked about what to expect and how to prepare for things step-by-step. We didn't want to be overwhelming, but we wanted to be supportive and be there and let you know what to expect. So use this episode for that. We're going to talk about how to process and prepare for surgery, the day of surgery, and immediately after. We'll talk about if you have chemo, some things to keep in mind there. Same thing with radiation. Then we'll also talk a little bit about reconstruction and survivorhood, and then a new normal. That's kind of the progression of things that I know I can speak of because that's the route that I walked. Feel free to look at them in little chunks of time so that you can process the information that you need at that moment that you need it and you're taking it in in those small doses. First up, we have talking about the moment that you find out and processing through those emotions. First of all, surround yourself with your loved ones, with your family, with your friends. Don't feel like you have to do it alone. And then second of all, know that there is no set rule on how you're supposed to feel or how you're supposed to process through them. That's going to be highly individualized. If you want to laugh, laugh. If you break down in tears, break down in tears. If you get mad and angry and you need to release that anger by going for a run or whatever, then do that. It's okay. It's okay. Give yourself permission to feel whatever you're feeling in that moment and surround yourself with your loved ones. And if you need distractions and you need to focus on something else that is going on in that moment, that's okay too can process and then distract and process and distract and that's okay. Then comes the preparing for surgery. At the very, very beginning of this step of preparing for surgery and at the tail end of your initial shock, it may actually still be in your processing moment. I highly, highly recommend finding yourself a good therapist. One that has a good fit for you, that you trust, that you feel like there's a safe space for you to be able to go and sort through some of the stuff that may be coming up now or that might come up in the future. Even if you're not sure if you need that space, take a moment, take control of that thing that you can do at this moment in time and make the appointment. It was an absolute lifeline For me, throughout the entire journey, as well as into survivorhood, and still now, find yourself that safe place where you can go to process through things. Because once you get in the midst of the storm and things get really, really, really hard, it's gonna be very difficult to add that to your plate at that moment in time. So, in the beginning, in that initial moment, take a deep breath, take control of that one action. And find yourself a good therapist so that that space is already carved out for you. You have it. You can get to know them. They know you. That way, you don't have to create that space later. You already have it. You can already fall back and lean on that safety net. To physically prepare, aside from talking with your doctors and asking all those questions and dealing with insurance and lining up your who, what, where, why, when information, The at-home preparation, I can talk in terms of preparing for a mastectomy because that's the surgery that I know. That's the one that I had. So if you have to have a mastectomy, here's my recommendations. As far as clothes go, get yourself some soft skirts and get some button-up tops because after surgery, it's going to be very difficult to put things on over your head. So button-up button up shirts are easy. I liked skirts because it required much less movement of your torso uh, when you had to change. Or if you had to go to the bathroom, you could just lift it up, sit down, and go. You didn't have to mess with buttons and pulling and tugging on things with muscles that you didn't really have. So skirts and button-up tops. Also, in episode number five, we talked about some at-home essentials. And I'm going to repeat some of these here. Make sure that you have a place to sleep for when you come home from the hospital already set up. Some people recommend getting a recliner. I didn't have a recliner, so we set up camp for me to be in the family room because it would be easier for me to get in and out of the couch. It was at a much better level than, say, the bed was. It was a bit higher. So have yourself a good place to sleep that'll be easy to get in and out of. I also recommend an electric toothbrush, because when you have a mastectomy, you you basically can't move your torso until you regain that strength. It'll come back. I promise it comes back. But right after surgery, you're not going to really be able to move your torso at all. So brushing your teeth, that back and forth movement, that hurts. So if you invest in an electric toothbrush, you can just kind of hold it there on a tooth, maybe move your head a little bit. And get those teeth clean without having to have that vigorous back and forth motion. So place to sleep, electric toothbrush. And I also recommend an electric razor too because it just made that process easier. Getting dressed and those daily routines that you have, they're going to be a little bit more of a challenge immediately after surgery. But I promise it gets easier. It's just going to take time. So be patient with yourself. To prepare for that, Your at-home essentials with the place to sleep, electric toothbrush, electric razor, and some skirts and button-up tops. Prepare to be out of commission basically for about two weeks. So have somebody that you can rely on taking care of other things, making dinners, cleaning the house. If you have kids, who's going to take care of your kids during that time? Who's going to drive you to your immediate follow-up appointments? Who's going to drive you around town if you need to get around town? It might take a little bit of time before you feel comfortable getting back behind the wheel. So who's going to be able to take you where you need to go? Also, in preparing for your surgery, think about who needs to know. Well, if you have kids at home, you're going to have to tell them something. So what exactly do you tell them? When we talked about that a little bit, when we had episode number four with emotional healing, we talked to Ashley Moore, a therapist, about how to talk to your kids. And very good points. It depends on the age of your kids. Bottom line is you're going to have to address that with them in some way or another. Listen back to number four for a few of those tips. And then there's the day of surgery. What can you expect? What do you need to know in this moment? of time. You're going to get yourself into the surgical prep room, and they're gonna have you do a series of things. It's going to depend on the hospital what your routine's going to be. I had to basically take these wet wipes and wipe my entire body down to rid them from any bacteria that might be there. I had to put on some compression socks, And y'all, they were hard to get on, but they have their role. It's important. It's to help prevent blood clots. So they put on these compression socks on you and then they also wrap a thing around them that will, when you're in surgery, it'll kind of hug them and unhug them and hug them again, just to kind of keep that blood moving so it doesn't, so you don't get any clots. So I had to wipe down, I had to put on the compression socks, I had to put on the gown, I had to brush my teeth with this special stuff and do a wipe down of my gums as well. The whole point of this whole process here is to prevent there from being any bacteria that shouldn't be there to basically prevent infection, which is important. You don't want infection. I know as I was going through these steps, I just kept thinking this is one more thing one more thing, I can do it. And as soon as I pass through these little hurdles, these little hoops, then I can climb onto that gurney and they'll give me that chill medicine. And I am one step closer to being done. Okay. And then right this day of surgery, I have said this before, but I'm going to say it again because it is the best piece of advice that has ever been given to me before you go into surgery, any surgery, know this. When you roll into that room and your anxiety is going through the roof, because they they do give you that medicine, which helps lower the anxiety, but you're still lucid. I had to place myself upon the table and that's kind of scary. My brain for my first surgeries, I looked around, bad idea, don't do it. For my second surgery, I was given this advice, which I'm going to pass on to you now. And this advice was so helpful. They told me, Joyce, don't look around the room. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't. When your mind is racing and your brain is trying to focus on something to feel like it has any bit of control, then you make it your job to focus on one nurse, that one person that is in front of you, and give your brain that job. What do their eyes look like? Their face. Be able to describe in detail anything and everything about the way that they look the things that they're saying, get their whole entire life history, that one person. That's your brain's job. Because when you do that, then you're not focusing on the rest of the room and then you won't remember any of it. I did that for my second surgery and I don't remember it, which is great. The first surgery I didn't do and unfortunately I remember way more than I need to. I don't want that to happen to you. So when you go into surgery, make that your job. You focus on that one nurse and that one nurse only when you wake up from surgery you'll be in this immediate recovery room and then they'll eventually roll you to your overnight room they'll adjust your pain meds and you'll rest and you'll be there for a day or so kind of depending on your hospital situation if your doctors are recommending pain medicine for you talk to them about that and know that that it's okay it's okay talk to them about any concerns that you may have and let your body heal. Let your body heal. Be patient with yourself. Getting in and out of bed proved to be very difficult because again, you cannot use your chest muscles. So here's a tip that somebody taught me. You sit on the edge of the bed And you can't put your arms down to push weight on it to wiggle into the middle of the bed because you can't put weight on your torso. You just can't do that. So instead what they told me to do was you sit down on the edge of the bed and then you lean down onto say your left shoulder and then you roll onto your back, then you're in the bed as opposed to trying to do the wiggle shift move because you're not gonna be able to do that. It's called the shoulder roll. You sit on the bed before leaning back, you lean down onto the shoulder and then roll on your shoulder all all the way onto your back. So that is a tip for getting in and out of the bed without using your torso muscles. You'll have drains. If you have a mastectomy, you're going to have drains, which we talked about in a couple of episodes, both the girl talk We talked about it when we interviewed a plastic surgeon as well as when we we interviewed the breast surgeon. But you're going to have drains, and they serve their role. You want them so that the fluid doesn't build up. And they hang outside of your body. They're they're held in place by a, a single stitch, and you basically are going to monitor the amount of stuff that comes out of them. And you know that it's time to remove those drains when the amount of liquid that comes into them gets below a certain level. Have somebody... That when you prepare yourself for surgery, whoever your caretaker is, they can help you with that. And they're really not in for very long, but a lot of times doctors don't like you to shower when you have the drains in because you don't want to get infection. So you do some some wet wipe wet wipe wipe downs for a little while and that'll be okay. Because I wasn't able to take a shower, I found that it was incredibly helpful when I went to go get my hair washed. I went to the salon and I had my hairdresser just wash my hair for me and oh my gosh, it made me feel like a whole new human being. It was it was absolutely the best thing ever to have that done. You'll have follow-ups with your surgeon for sure. And if you opted to have your reconstruction done at the same time, you'll have a follow-up with your plastic surgeon as well who will be monitoring the incisions And one of the two of them will be removing those drains when it is time. When it comes time to removing those drains, I personally did not like it. But you take a deep breath and know that you're one step closer to being done. You're one step closer to having this put in your past. And you can do it. Breathe. It'll be over in a minute. You can do hard things. Then you're going to be working on recovery. Be patient. You're not going to be able to just get up and run a marathon right away. It's going to take time. So be patient with your body and let yourself heal. Set yourself some realistic expectations. If you want to get up and you want to start exercising again, that's great. Don't expect to be running three miles right away. Instead, it might look a little differently. It might be walking around your kitchen and then two laps around your kitchen and then maybe making your way to the grocery store one day. And and if you have to sit down and take a break, that's fine too. I know I did. And that's okay. You just slowly build yourself up and set those expectations at a reasonable level. When you are driving around town, be it in that period where somebody is driving you or once you're able to get the keys and drive again yourself, at any rate, you're going to want to have something to put between you and the seatbelt, like a soft pillow of some kind, because you're not gonna want that seatbelt to rub against those very tender wounds. So have yourself a nice soft satin pillow of some kind that you can just place between you and the seatbelt for added comfort and protection. While you are recovering and healing from surgery, they'll run some tests on the tumors that they removed during surgery. And when they run those tests, they'll have a better idea on what other kind of treatment you may need, if any. And if when you have that follow-up appointment with your breast surgeon and they're going over the biopsy results with you and they're going over your whole medical history and everything about you and your cancer, and if it comes up that they say you're a candidate for needing chemo, here's what I recommend. First of all... Check out those questions that I have on the website togetherweweather.org under the blog section of the questions to ask your providers. Because just like everybody's cancer is different, everybody's set of chemo can be different. It's not a one-size-fits-all cocktail that you get. It's not like chemo is just one thing. There are several different kinds of cocktails and then there's different dosages of that as well. Regardless of that, If you're told that that is a treatment that you need, it's gonna be an emotional time period. So make sure that again, you have that safe place set up, you have a person, a therapist, or somebody that you can go to and process through things as they come up. That being said, there's no one right thing to do. You could either wear wigs or you could have hats or you could wear scarves Or you could go without anything at all. That's a very personal choice and any of them is completely fine. Find something that makes you feel beautiful through it all because you are. There are certain side effects that come with chemo and your doctor will go over whatever they are depending on that kind of cocktail that you're given. But one of the biggest ones that you have probably heard of is those that have chemo lose their hair. Y'all, that was a big thing for me. Losing my hair was in some ways harder than losing my breasts, which didn't really make sense when I said that out loud because my hair would grow back. My breasts would obviously not. I think that it was just more of a, a very outward sign. Like, look at me, I have cancer. And it was something that I couldn't hide. And it made me look at myself in the mirror and go, I'm sick. And I didn't like that at all. But I knew that I was going to lose my hair regardless. So the first thing that I did when I found out that I needed chemo, I had really long hair. I went and I got it cut so it was above my shoulder so that I could learn, okay, what is it like not having it on my neck, having it short, so like just a chin-length bob right off the shoulder. And I let that sit for about a week or so. And then I had my first chemo and you lose your hair typically about maybe two weeks after your first treatment. That's when mine started to come out. Knowing that this was going to happen though, I wanted to be able to say when and how the strands would go. So I made a day of it. I took control and I went with my friends to have my head shaved. And that doesn't have to be the choice that all of y'all make, but it was me taking ownership and taking control of one aspect of my life when everything else seemed like there was nothing I could do, that it was all completely out of my control. This was a piece that I could do, that I could choose. And so I I decided when we had a day of it, I cried the whole entire time, y'all, but I did it. And afterwards, we had hats and all of my friends wore a hat and we went out to lunch and we just had a girl's afternoon. That made me feel strong and empowered. Whether or not that's something that you do or not is up to you, but in the middle of this journey, in the middle of this storm, find something that you can control. You might not be able to control the cancer. You might not be able to control the fact that you are recommended for chemo or the effects that that has on you, but what is it within that journey that you can focus on? Take ownership of it and you'll be surprised how incredibly empowering that actually is. My other recommendation with chemo is to bring yourself a water bottle. Drink water. Stay hydrated through it all. Exercise, they say, is good. But you're also tired too, so it's kind of a balancing act. You want to listen to your body and you want to rest and let yourself heal, but you want to do a little bit of exercise when you can. Here's what that looked like for me. I would drink my water and then the day of chemo, I'd come home and I would do like a little lap around the block. I mean, it wasn't far, y'all. But just a little bit of walking to get to get myself some exercise in. And then I would let myself sleep the rest of that day and the first half of the other day. Now, some of you guys, if you don't know this already, chemo can cause your white blood cells to plummet. Okay, it affects your immune system. And so they will monitor that and make sure that your white blood cells are at a healthy enough level to be able to fight off other infections. Because if your white blood cells are too low, and let's say you come in contact with a cold or something, then you can easily catch that cold and not be able to fight it off. They don't want that for you, so they monitor your white blood cells very closely. And then sometimes they might have you come in for an injection or a shot of some kind that helps to increase your white blood cells. For me, they used, I called it my battery-operated sticker. It was a little sticker that they put on my arm. They put it on at the end of chemo, and after, I think, I don't know, 24, 48 hours, something like that, it would go off, and it would inject that medicine into me automatically. And when they first put this battery-operated sticker on, they'd say, okay, it's going to tick. It makes this ticking sound, tick, 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 and then all of a sudden, it would be bam, and it would you know, kind of flick a little needle inside. I know that sounds painful, but y'all, it really wasn't. It felt like a rubber band, just like a rubber band getting hit. In fact, the finger prick that they do to test blood, that hurts way more than this did. It was more the anticipation. And so then that would that would flick in and then it doesn't doesn't then it doesn't hurt anymore. That's the only flicking that happens. Okay. When it detonates and it starts to administer the medicine a couple um, like about a day or so later, all you're going to hear is ticking. You don't feel anything. And the whole point of this medicine is to jumpstart your white blood cells. For me, this caused intense bone pain. But here's how I thought about it. I thought about it like the medicine is going deep into my bones, where your bone marrow is, and saying, chop, chop, white blood cells, we need more of you. Make more. Ready? Go. Go. When I personified that and thought about it that way, it made me smile and laugh a bit and go, okay, this hurts, and I am not pleased at all with this bone pain, but I knew why it was hurting. It was hurting because that medicine was doing its job, and it was going in there into my bones and saying, we need more white blood cells now, ASAP. And after about a day, then I felt better. I won't go into all the other side effects that can happen with chemo because they vary greatly. And when this is a conversation that you need to be open with your provider, they'll say on there, oh, this could cause constipation or it could cause diarrhea. Well, hello, opposite ends of the spectrum there, right? Whatever symptom you may be experiencing, be it nausea, be it whatever it is, You need to be upfront and honest with your oncologist so that they know. Because sometimes they can do fine tuning adjustments and they don't know about that or they don't know to tell you, oh, you're experiencing this. Well, if you do blankety blank, this will help with that symptom. They don't know to tell you that if you don't speak up and say, I'm experiencing this. So as far as chemo goes, yes, you're likely going to lose your hair but take ownership on things when and how you can, and talk to your oncologist. Have that very open conversation with them when any and everything comes up. The last thing that I want to say about chemo is to bring somebody with you and to bring things to do, because chemo isn't just, hey, let me go in, get a shot, be done, be on my way. It takes time for those drugs to drip and to get into your system. So sometimes you'll be sitting there for hours depending on what your recommendation is and so forth. So bottom line, bring somebody with you to keep you company and bring things to do. You can bring coloring books or cards to play with a friend or thank you notes to write or whatever it is that you need to do, bring something and bring somebody. Jumping ahead, some people may be candidates for radiation. Again, your doctors will go through this with you and let you know if you're a candidate and why. If you are recommended for radiation, y'all go back and listen to episode number seven with Radiation Oncology with Dr. Michael Hassell. That is an incredible interview where he walks you through step-by-step what you should know And what you should expect when you go to help settle any nerves. So that's my best advice with radiation is listen to that episode so that you know what's going on, what to expect, and you can be better prepared. I will add, in addition to listening to that episode, one more thing. I was overwhelmed, y'all, when I was told that I needed radiation. First of all, I was in a very emotionally raw moment in my life. I didn't handle it well. And once I processed through that and I knew, okay, I got to do it. I got, I got to just make it through it. It was still overwhelming to be told that I needed to go for 25 days in a row because radiation is basically every day for X amount of, of weeks and that can be intimidating. So here's something that I did. And I told a friend of mine this too, and she said that it was also helpful I made a countdown chain. You know, like you do in elementary school when you're counting down the days till Christmas? Yup, that's what I did. I got myself some construction paper and I color coordinated the weeks, folks. Red was this week one, blue was week two, yellow was week three, and so forth. So I could look at it and go, I only have two more yellows. And then I'm done, 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 done with yellows. I only have red and blues to go. And I could see the progress that I was making Along the way, I also decided in this moment in time in my life that I was going to ring a bell every single day of treatment because you hear about ringing the bell at the end of radiation or at the end of chemo when you're done dealing with cancer. And yes, absolutely, have at it. I sure as heck did. But I wanted to celebrate that hope was more than just at the ending of some trial in our lives. Hope was all throughout the entirety of our journey. It was all along the way. And when I rung that bell every single day, it spread hope. It gave me that courage and resolve to know I did it. Look what I did today and look at the progress that I am making. I would break up that chain and I would ring that bell every day. And don't you think I didn't hang on to those broken chains? Heck yeah, I did. I held on to every single broken chain so that at the end of my entire treatment, I could take a picture standing over that wreckage. I mastered this. I did it. So that's my recommendation. In addition, listen to that number seven podcast episode on radiation oncology with Dr. Michael Hassell to have a little bit better of an insight and then also make yourself that chain, that countdown chain. If you have a mastectomy and choose to do reconstruction with implants, Here's how it usually goes. Usually you will have, at the time of the mastectomy, they will put the expanders in under that same anesthesia. Sometimes they can go directly to implants. Other times they have to stretch that tissue. So they'll they'll put the expanders in. For more information on what to expect with the reconstruction, listen to episode number 11, where I actually interview and talk with plastic surgeon Dr. Carl Pearl, and he goes through this what to expect process but just giving you a few tips on that the expanders they're really hard and there's this magnetic port at the top once you've healed from surgery you'll go in. they'll monitor you he's also monitoring your white blood cell count and assuming everything is fine with your your treatment plan then they'll start the injections they'll use that little magnet to find the access point and they will um they'll inject the saline in and it'll stretch the tissues and you go either once a week or a couple of times a week kind of depending on what your plan is and here's how it felt it felt like a little bit of a a stretch or a pull it didn't hurt at all though and every week I was getting a little bit bigger getting back to my regular size then they would put a little bit more in after I said this is the size I want they'd put a little bit more in to allow for that a little bit extra skin during that switch out surgery. Then you have the switch out surgery and they replace the expanders for implants. And y'all, recovering from that surgery is so much easier than recovering from the mastectomy. They use the same incisions and they go in and they they just do that little switch out and they're so nice, they're so much nicer. When I had the expanders, it's really hard to lay on your stomach because they're hard and it hurts. When somebody would give me a hug, it just, it hurt me. But the implants, it's a whole new world and I love them. So hang in there and talk to your provider about it. Go back, listen to episode number 11 for more details on reconstruction. I also want to talk briefly about a hysterectomy. Because if you have the BRCA mutation, if you are BRCA 1 or BRCA 2 positive for that mutation, you are not only more at risk for getting breast cancer, but you're also more at risk for getting ovarian cancer. And if that's the case, it's possible that your doctors have had this conversation with you about a hysterectomy. That was my second surgery. I had to have one of them too because I have that BRCA 2 mutation. So what to expect here? There are different ways that they can do the surgery. Mine was done laparoscopically and there are just two tiny scars on the sides of my abdomen and then my belly button as well. And I can't even tell now those scars have faded. Now right after surgery, if you have to sneeze or laugh or cough or anything, it can hurt. So they'll encourage you to put a hold a pillow by your abdomen and squeeze that pillow if you're coughing or sneezing or whatever, just so it doesn't hurt as much. But I'll be honest, guys, after that second surgery, I don't remember much about the actual surgery room. And why? Because I did that trick. I focused on that one nurse only. And so my memories from that moment in time, they don't haunt me as much as the first does. So again, before you're going into surgery, any surgery, Focus on that one person. Whatever your treatment plan entails, whether it's a surgery only, whether it's surgery and chemo, radiation, or a combination of maybe only two of those, or if it's everything all of the above, no matter what your treatment plan is, when you are done with it and you cross that barrier into survivorhood, don't be surprised if there are some emotional wounds that are still lagging behind, that still need tending to. I was blindsided by that. I definitely was emotional during the whole course of my treatment. And when I was done and I made it to the other side, I had certain expectations of how I was supposed to feel. I'm supposed to be happy and relieved and that is it. I didn't think that there was any room at all for fear or sadness or grief to still be lingering, but it was there all the same. And every time I talk to a survivor who has been there, they echo that same truth. These emotions, they are there even after you're done with treatment. Ignoring them doesn't help it. You have to tend to those emotional wounds as well. So, again, this is where having a good therapist comes into play. You work on your mindfulness. You give yourself permission to be human and to feel however you feel whenever you're feeling it and process through that and work with somebody that can help you heal completely. Not just healing from cancer physically, which you did with all the treatments, but now working on healing emotionally and that survivor's aftermath. So reach out for help. Talk about it. Don't assume that you're the only one because I can promise you, you are not. You are not alone. So reach out and talk to people. Exercise. Exercise often releases those feel-good endorphins, which helps you feel better. It also makes you feel stronger. And it's, it's good for your body. It's good for your heart. It's good for your soul. So exercise, reach out, and connect with others you're going to have a new normal and you're going to have to recreate this new sense of safety in some ways because the way that you view the world after cancer is very different than the view that you may have had prior to diagnosis. And that's okay. I read somewhere this tip and it was interesting. So I gave it a shot and I tried it and I was surprised at what I saw, but I read somewhere to make a timeline of this moment in your life, of all of the things that you had to go through that were hard and make this timeline in black ink. Okay, I was diagnosed, I got the call, that was hard, I had to have my surgery, I had this, I had that. All of these things and write it all on this timeline in black ink. And once you've done that, then go back and and your job is to look at all the things that you're grateful for. All the good things that are on the same timeline, because it's easy for us to focus on that negative. It's easy for us to focus on that thing that we hate so much, on that cancer and all that it did to us and all that it took away. But go back on the same timeline and write those good things and use a different color. And you can use rainbow colors for all I care, but plaster it with all of the good things that happened along the way as well and then when you're done step back and look at it and you're not going to just see this black ink timeline you're going to see all of the colors as well and that visual is to help remind you that you are not defined by this cancer alone there are all these other hues and all these other pieces of your life that matter and they are there too it's to help you refocus on that truth bottom line here Don't feel bad about it. Don't assume that you're the only one. Don't let shame keep you from reaching out and connecting with others, from asking for help. Because I can promise you this, you are not alone. So ask for help and heal. Heal completely. Thank you all for joining us here today. Remember that when something like this hits your life, just take it one step at a time. Baby steps are still steps. Thank you again for joining us. I look forward to speaking with you all again next week. Until then, remember that together we weather this storm. You are never alone.